All right, our first scripture lesson this morning is from the first chapter of the first letter of Peter. Um, it's on page 218 in your pew Bible if you'd like to join along. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiable, uh, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who are being protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, even if now for a little while you have to suffer various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than that, than gold that, through though perishable, is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Although you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with indescribable and glorious joy. For you are receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word. Chris and I need to coordinate our children's sermon and uh, our, I don't know, what do you call it, the adult sermon? Because um, I'd love to walk out in a Sasquatch costume right now. <laughs> if you'd called ahead, it's, it's in my closet at home. I didn't have time. 20th chapter of John, the traditional reading on the Sunday after Easter, so a lot fewer people hear it. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors were locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed him his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who is called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord! But he said, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand, put it in my side, do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, 
the Son of God, that through believing you may have life in his name. The Gospel of the Lord. Join your hearts with me in prayer. Set aside any voice that is not your own, any noise that rattles from without or within, so that we may truly hear your word, that the breath of your spirit may come upon us, and we too may receive the gift of belief. To the glory of Christ. Amen. Every Sunday after Easter, we encounter good old Thomas. His name in Hebrew, it's derived from a Hebrew name for twin, Toam, Toam. The same name translated into Greek is Didymus. The Gospel of John uses both, not quite interchangeably, but almost occasionally is Thomas. Other times he's Didymus. By the way, every time you write the name Thomas and you're confused by the fact that it's T-H-O-M-A-S, that T-H is a nod to the Greek transliteration from the Hebrew, toh, it's actually T-O-H, but when they wrote it in Greek, they used a theta instead of a tau, so it's a T-H at the beginning, but it's still pronounced Thomas. Language confuses me, no wonder I can't spell. There's no small literary symbolism in the role of Tom's name. He's a twin. He's our twin. He stands beside us in our disbelief at the news of the resurrection. It's too fantastical, it's too absurd, too unbelievable to merely take the word of the other disciples. They are delusional. Thomas is level-headed. But John, throughout his entire account, Jesus appears not once, but twice in the upper room, the second time accommodating Thomas's absence, his doubt, offering the kind of objective proof that Thomas said that he needed. Put your finger here, see my hands, see my side, reach your hand out, do not doubt, but believe. Tradition holds that Tommy went on to become a world master in pinball. Oh, that's what I get for getting sermon notes from Wikipedia. I'm sorry. Seriously. Thomas in that second upper room moment, becomes a believer. And when he encounters the reality of Jesus' resurrection, he not only announces his servanthood to that same Jesus, but also that he is now Thomas's God. My Lord and my God, Christ Thomas. He's our twin, full of doubt, that needs some form of confirmation. He's there for every doubter who hesitates at the witness of the apostles. His eyes, his ears, his touch is our surrogate to move us from doubting into believing. Jesus underlines this transformation. You have believed because you have seen me. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. 
breaking of the third wall. In the story, Jesus turns to us, the audience, and is speaking to those of us who have yet to come to believe the account of the Gospel. And then John ends with a narrator's account. Jesus did other signs in the presence of His disciples, but these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in His name. Thomas, the twin, our twin, steps from reasonable skepticism to faithful certainty. And the Gospel writer invites us to do the same. And it might take a little time. It might take a second encounter. But our loyalty is not only to what we find reasonable, but also that we are rather loyal to our dead prophets and our martyred heroes. To a certain extent, Thomas was better off if Jesus had remained dead. Then Thomas would be free to go on and interpret the meaning of that death however he would desire. At no point would he have to grapple with the real voice of Jesus suggesting that maybe Thomas was on the wrong track. He could run back to the quotes and to the occasions and the stories and say, ah, see, I'm in continuity with the dead Messiah. We are culturally in the middle of a battle over the legacy of the dead. Some historians reveal the human frailty of our past leaders and others are scandalized because they want to maintain an idealized memory of their near flawlessness. In my first call, I served a congregation where over half of the membership when I arrived still recalled with great vivid memory the pastor who had served that congregation for nearly 40 years. There had been a couple of forgettable pastorates between him and myself, and I'm sure in the coming pastorates I was one of the forgettable ones but it all went back to those glory days shortly after World War II when people really went to church and kids were well behaved and the choir sang beautifully and worship was always packed. I was there during the church's centennial and this beloved pastor and his wife were still alive and so we decided to bring all of the former pastors who were living back to the church for the centennial celebration and he would preach the centennial worship service that Sunday weekend. It was interesting, after he had delivered his sermon and returned to Florida, the number of members that came up to me and said, I'd kind of forgotten what a jerk he was. <laughs> but I had the opposite experience. Because he took me aside during the centennial weekend and said, you need to know you shouldn't believe half of what they say about me. Things were never all that great. The place wasn't all that full. How are they saying that we had 600 on Easter Sunday in a sanctuary that if everybody's skinny fits 190 people? 
Don't believe it. Things are going well. Two diametrically opposed experiences created by the fact that he was still alive. As long as he was relegated to memory and treated as if he were gone, he could be a past hero and nothing, and I mean nothing, could measure up to those expectations. But if, if the leader is still with us, if they are still alive, if they are still part of living history, it quickly unravels the wistful idolatry of memory. There was an advantage if Thomas could keep his Messiah dead. There's no corrective bone of contention. It doesn't become about what that individual would be saying today, but what you've already decided he has said in the past. A martyred Messiah is a malleable Messiah formed in the image of what we want him to be. We don't have to worry about the reality of who he is. Now, for those of you who remember the two St. Thomas Sunday recordings that I did for St. Thomas Sunday, they're still out there on YouTube. I think it was some of my best work. But I portrayed Thomas as a vital insurrectionist and once Jesus died he was going to go out and fight for the great cause he was going to take the holiness of Jesus' martyrdom into the streets in order to make himself a martyr for the same cause but in the upper room when he encountered a living Jesus he had to jettison all of his plans for political revolt and embrace instead a life dedicated to a spiritual revival. If we have a living Messiah, if we have a living Christ, then we have to grapple with an active faith. A faith that engages not only with current events, but with an active present and living God. The question is no longer what would Jesus do, which is to point back to the past and then fill in the blanks because this Jesus is currently absent. The question becomes, what is Jesus doing? Our eyes no longer cast backwards. Instead, we see the present as the space in which a living Messiah continues to work. The other suggests that the Messiah is active among us today, in our context, in our lives, and by this power of the Spirit that was breathed out upon those disciples, we no longer look back, lingering over a historic puzzle. We look around and see the active work of a living Christ. Tradition holds, and archaeology does confirm, that after the resurrection, Thomas left Jerusalem and went east. 
and preached the gospel all the way into what is modern Kerala, India. So on the west coast of the Indian subcontinent. When Western explorers arrived in India, some of them were startled to discover an active Christian community that had not been evangelized by any of the Western missionaries that thought they would go to India. No, there was already a church there. And they attributed their existence to the work of St. Thomas. Thomas, in the encounter with Jesus, realized that if he was going to be faithful, he needed to leave the Roman Empire altogether because it was no longer about local politics. It was no longer about throwing off the Roman oppressors, no longer to build a free Judea. He had to go where he had no comprehension of the language or of the culture or of the politics or an ability to interpret the history unencumbered from all of those distractions from the past, Thomas was allowed to evangelize and proclaim into a present. He ministered where he was unencumbered by the temptation to rebuild something, but instead inspired by a mission to create a future that was new. When our prophets are dead... And our heroes are martyrs. Our hearts dwell in the past. But when our Messiah is living and we are required to face a present God who is active in current events, our lives are completely different. And our attention must be present focused. These things are written, said John, that you might continue, you might continue present, subjunctive, active. That you might continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Not the past tense, but the present tense. Jesus is the Messiah. And I hope that presence makes us tense. Amen? Amen. Please stand and in the words of the ancient creed affirm our faith. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried.